0: Of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. So James says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, but also he does not resist. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the last of our few Sundays where we've spent reading through the Epistle of James. It only comes up every three years, but there are so many important things in here, I thought it was worth spending a few Sundays' time reflecting on them. Way back a few Sundays ago, we started with James warning us about partiality, how we use our eyes. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, James said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And the question that James laid before us in James chapter 2 is, are you using your eyes to see the way God sees? A world in need of redemption by his Christ. Or are we too busy, as Jesus warned us not to do in the Sermon on the Mount, figuring out Who is good and who is bad, who is worthy of judgment and who is going to escape judgment? Who's going to heaven and who's going to hell? Instead of simply telling them about the Christ and what he has accomplished for them. Then in John chapter or James chapter three, James moved from our eyes to our tongue and warned us of what a great evil is contained in this muscle in our mouths and how we use this tongue Both for good and for tremendous evil, sometimes within minutes, if not seconds, of each other. With it we bless our Lord and Father, James said, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. And again, James is reflecting on his elder brother's words in the Sermon on the Mount, when he warned us about how even those who are angry with their brother have murdered them, killed them with that muscle that sits between your upper palate and your lower teeth. And so James asked, do we speak as God speaks, calling us to repentance, warning us of the wrath that is to come, but also proclaiming his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness in Jesus. That is the primary way we should be using our tongues. And then last week we moved from eyes to tongue all the way down into our hearts. James asked the question that, Even secular people are constantly asking themselves, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why does it seem like we are always at each other's throat? Why is nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, neighbor against neighbor even? Is it not this, James writes, that your passions are at war within you, in your own heart? We want, and we want, and we want, and we want, and we will kill others or even ourselves through work to try and get it. But now in this last chapter of his epistle, as James has dealt with eyes and tongue and heart, he comes full circle. Comes right back to these eyes in our head and what they see. And do we see as God wants us to see? Or do we only see from a human worldly perspective so that really we'd be better off ripping out our eyes and not seeing it all at all, as Jesus talks about in the gospel? How do we judge who has God's blessing in the world? Do we look at their power? Do we look at their wealth? Jesus warned people that accumulated wealth that wealth in this world doesn't last. Moth eats, rust destroys, thieves come in and take by force. James is simply reminding us of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. A warning to you rich that all these things you think make you valuable and important in the world will not survive your death. And death is coming. Sooner or later, for each and every one of us, the rich, James says, are not the ones who are blessed. It's not in wealth and in riches that we can see the love of God. It's not even in health that we can see the love and blessing of God. But actually, God's blessing comes only in Jesus. So I was out in Omaha the last few days with our Jamaican mission partner circle, just like we had our mission partners meeting here in Montreal. Last weekend, we got together at Zion West Lutheran Church on Ida Street in Omaha to talk about the work down in the Caribbean and specifically Jamaica. And there was a pastor and his wife, who are longtime friends of ours, who were sitting at a table with me and our director of Lutheran Hour Ministries. And for some reason, we got into a discussion about capitalism and socialism, probably drawn in part because of their experiences as Jamaicans who had to flee the country as young children when it took a turn from being a more open free market system to one that was controlled very intimately by the government. And as we got to the end of our discussion, it occurred to me That the one thing that is true of every single economic system that we have developed as humans, whether it's free market capitalism or liberalism or socialism or communism or come up with any other economic system, is that in every single method of dispersing wealth, we have always ended up with rich people and poor people. Always. No matter whether it's somebody desperately trying to follow the rules of Marx and communism or in free market capitalism, there always seem to be those who have a lot of stuff and those who seem to be struggling to make ends meet. Now, why is that? Is it not because of us? Because when we get stuff, our immediate instinct is to hold on to it, protect it, Build walls around it. Put it in a safe. Lock it up in a safe deposit box. Accumulate it in bank accounts. Anything we get is always something we want to keep for ourselves. And I am as guilty of that as any of you. This is our sinful nature. It is precisely what makes us so different from God. Because how does God use his riches? What does God do with everything that he has, with his most prized possessions? James tells us, right there in James chapter 5, our reading for today. You have condemned and murdered, and listen closely here. This is very important. The righteous one. And he does not resist you. It is singular. Something that not every language has, the singular and plural business. Sorry for those of you who are trying to figure out how this works in English and French and Spanish and other Western languages. But in our languages, we have singular and plural. Just like in Greek. And this is a singular It is not, you've condemned and murdered righteous people out there in general, but James has somebody specific in mind. And that specific person turns the other cheek to you and me. It's just like what James said all those many weeks back, if you remember it, in James chapter 2. But you have dishonored the poor man. Not just poor people in general, but James clearly has somebody very specific in mind. The righteous one, the poor man, the one we have dishonored, the one we have condemned and murdered, the one who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, And we esteemed him not. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Saved. Raised up. All synonyms one of the other. This righteous one this poor man could have turned around and destroyed us all. But instead, he continues to come to us and heal our eyes so that we can see each other and the world the way God sees us. He's taken a coal from the altar and placed it on our tongue that our sins are now forgiven. And now we who have unclean lips can speak good words amongst others of unclean lips. And in the words of Jeremiah, he has taken our hearts of stone that only want to fight and quarrel and murder and given us hearts of flesh that can feel, that can look at others the way God does as people worthy of redemption. People to die for, literally, even death on a cross. So you and I our eyes have been plucked out, our hearts have been transplanted, even our tongue has been rearranged, and it is continually happening to us over and over again by the Spirit breathed out over the lips of Jesus as he was dying so that we can see, so that we can speak, and perhaps most importantly of all, we can love, not as the world loves, Because the world loves in order to get, in order to accumulate, in order to amass for itself. God loves in order that he might give, and give freely, and give it all for you. And all of that happens because of the righteous one, the Christ. The one who by grace, though he was rich, yet for your sake and mine became the poor man. So that you and I, by his poverty might become rich. And so this circles back to that first question that I asked. How do we see God's blessings in the world? How do we figure out on whom God's blessings rest? And so James has these verses that that seem kind of disconnected, but they all flow together. Are any of you suffering? Well, clearly, if you're suffering, then God must really hate your guts, right? God wouldn't allow that to somebody that he loves. But James turns it all around and says, If you're suffering, do you know who you can bring your suffering to? Your Father, your Heavenly Father. And so pray. Lay it at His feet. Are any of you joyful? You've got songs to sing. One day, perhaps someday soon, we will have our hymnals again. We'll be reminded that we have a whole collection of songs that are built on the words that our Lord has given us to sing out for joy and to invite each other into our joy to sing with us. And if any of you are sick, it does not mean God's abandoned you. And if you want a reminder that God hasn't abandoned you, call for the elders, the pastor of the church, to come and do what we used to do but have kind of fallen out of the habit of doing, which is anointing you. Now, what is that all about? Well, for hundreds of years in the early church, the first thing that was done to you when you came out of the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of God in baptism was that you were anointed with oil. Just like the prophets, just like the priests, and yes, just like the kings. That anointing with oil is to remind you that even though you might lay on your deathbed, you are baptized. God has redeemed you in the blood of Jesus. You are his, he is your father, and you are most certainly blessed above all others, even in your sickness, even in mine. And so James says don't, don't look for the riches or the power as a sign of God's blessing. But even in the midst of suffering and joy and sickness, you can be certain because of Christ's crucifixion for you that God does indeed love you. And he's made you his. And so James, this rather short epistle that maybe some of you have never really looked at, just like Luther called it an epistle of straw at his first reading, turns out to really be an epistle about faith in Christ. It's really what it is. And that's why Luther dismissed it at first, because he was in a battle over the question of what the church is all about. Is it about what we do for God, or is it about what God has done for us? But then Luther reread it, just like we have over the last few Sundays. And I've come to see that really this is an epistle about the righteous one, the poor man, who does not resist you, but instead reaches his arms out to you on the cross. It is an epistle about faith and about trust in the one who makes you and I blessed and how we see that blessedness and speak that blessedness and even love that blessedness in our hearts. James is an epistle about the good news, the best news, the news about Jesus. Amen. Now may the grace, mercy, and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ guard and keep you always in the one true faith until life everlasting. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.